Happy, happy Friday. Is anyone happy it's Friday? What about the fact that our next class isn't until December 2nd after this? Hello. Yes. I need it. I, you need the break. I need the break. It's okay. Dr. Payne is not here today, for she is on an airplane going to San Diego. You'll notice that our faculty section is a little thinner than it usually is. That is because this weekend and on into next week, Monday and Tuesday, is actually the largest professional scholarly conference for scholars of the Bible and theology and religion. It's called the American Academy of Religion and the Society of Biblical Literature. It meets in a major U.S. city each year. This year it's in San Diego. Anybody from San Diego here? You can tell me um, some San Diego favorites afterward if you want to, because I'm going to be there too. I'm delivering a paper on Tuesday to a crowd that will not be this big, I will tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> they will all be <laughs> wishing that they were leaving, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm a scholar and this is what we do. We produce knowledge and we work on hard things and we continue to do that all the time, even during the school year. So that's where the professors are. That's where Dr. Payne is. She sends her uh, greetings to you. I had some other announcements. What the heck are they? Oh, so for next week, we are not actually technically canceling class next week. Do you know this? We're not canceling class. We have alternate things for you to do. We have a series of videos, just professors from this class sharing from the heart, and you can click on them. They're on YouTube. It's under the schedule for next week when you see it. We also want you to keep reading in Athanasius. So we started with pages, I think, 49 through 69, and then the preface by C.S. Lewis. We're now going to move from pages 70 to, I don't know, I think like 90 or something like that. And then for our final week of class, we'll have the last section of the book. So keep doing that. Don't stop doing that. Um, and check out the extra activities and the videos that we have for you. So you're not off completely next week. It's just we're not meeting in here on Monday. You're not meeting in your section on Wednesday. I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then Friday, of course, is a day off of school. We will then come back for our last week of class. Can you believe that's coming up on December 2nd through the 6th or whatever that is? Okay. Bad news. Dr. Favale, who gave a wonderful lecture on Monday, was that not a great lecture? Did that not move your heart? Yeah, I know. She has fallen badly, badly ill. She's very, very sick. And she, she would come here even sick, but it's like so bad that she can't even come. So we're in sorrow and prayer for Dr. Favale to feel better very soon. Um, but the good news is we have, we have a great panel anyway, and we're gonna, still, we're, gonna, we're gonna move forward. Here's an idea for today, a little different um, in terms of content. We're gonna do honor to Dr. Favale's lecture the best that we can about Mary, about Annunciation, about saying yes to God, at least in the beginning in my questioning to, to the panelists. But, and, and if you have anything that you want to ask about that, we're going to ask you to take the mic. Please talk live today or write down notes. However, we will then open it up. I just, I'm just having wild card feelings today, like wild card, like joker kind of feelings, okay? And so if you want, you can basically, we're just going to open it up. We'll, we'll take questions, comments, back and forth on any topic at all related to faith today. So just open to anything. Preference for questions that have some relation to something that we've discussed and read together, but not required. And so we'll just, like today, we're just going to go there, okay? So if you want to go there today, you, gotta, you, know, you can ask about something from week one, week two, whenever you want. So a little bit of a wild card, does that make sense? Is that a good idea? Okay. Okay, yeah, all right. Now, to get you in the mood, okay, please give it up for Jenna Richards, our head TA. Jenna, Jenna. We're going to give Jenna the roving mic. Just to get in the mood, I don't think you're in the mood yet for the wild card nature of what we're doing. So I have three, any drink you want, gift cards to the coffee cottage here. Oh, yes, I do. I'm going to give them to Jenna. 
And I'm going to ask this question. Only excellent responses to this question will get one. If you want, ready? The question is this. You have to tell us on the microphone, what is a weird holiday tradition that your family cherishes? That, that dude in the red was very fast with that, or the guy in the black, I don't know. You got to tell us what it is. A weird holiday tradition that it's your like family... It's like you knew what the question was before we asked Oh, he it. knew. He knew what it was. He was reading my okay. mind. He just heard the word weird, and he was like, me, right now. Uh, uh, oh, no, he's giving it back. Oh, no, don't do that. I don't want to do it. Go. <laughs> okay. Oh, all, right, all right, that's fine. No gift card for you. Hi, my name's Adam. Uh, so I'm from Alaska, and so we eat reindeer sausage every what? Christmas morning. So we always like to say we ate Rudolph. <laughs> he gets a gift card for that. Okay. Yeah. Would it be weird if I admitted right now that I thought reindeer were fake up until this exact moment? Is okay. that? Where am I alone? Am I alone? They're not real, okay? But good one anyway. Where Where do you want me to go? I don't know. You're, okay. you're the one out there. You pick somebody. All right. Up. Okay. We'll We'll go down to the end of this one. This is like a marathon passing. Uh, my name's Taryn. Uh, we all get matching pajamas on Christmas Eve in a game, and then we'll play those really late until all the kids fall asleep, and then we'll keep playing, and then we take some pretty great pictures in those matching pajamas. Oh, I like that. That's great. That's crazy enough for a gift card. It's crazy enough. It's, it's not the craziest one I've ever heard, but it's a little weird. So it's enough. One more. We've only got one more gift okay. card for today. You're the coffee eager. cottage. Okay. Get the biggest drink you can get with the cards, okay? The most expensive one. All right. Hi. Uh, my name is Garrett Sassy. All right. Yeah. They like you. Yeah. They like you. They know you. That's right. Um, so, like, every year for Christmas, it takes my dad and I two weeks to decorate our house. And we go, like, full out lights, like the Griswolds, you know? Because, <laughs> I mean, it's got to be lit for Christmas, so. That counts. Give him the card. I did. Jenna's yeah. going to stay out there in the audience with the microphone. It's me. All right. Now we're in the mood. Now we're in the wild card mood. Now we're in the holiday mood. I'm very happy. I can't wait to introduce this panel to you. Um, farthest down in the maroon jacket yes. is Dr. Sungu Yang of Smash the Patriarchy fame. Okay. Give him, give him a hand. Dr. Yang, welcome to our panel. So happy Good to, to meet see you. you. Our guest pastor for the week in the black and the collar is Father Stephen Kenyon from Shepherd of the Valley Catholic Church. <laughs> Father Stephen is actually a grad of GFU from 2013. I remember him here when he was a student um, from our very department in philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah. philosophy. Um, he drove all the way from the Medford area to come join us today. So those of you from Medford, you know the drive, and he did it. We're so happy to have you today, Father Stephen. Welcome. And here from Village Beaverton Church, Insul Kang, Pastor Kang. Do you remember her from before? Yeah? Yeah. You were here during the week when we were talking about God as Father, right? Was that the week you were here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and I have a comment to make about this one, so I'm ready to go. Let's oh, you're go. ready, okay. Well, we're ready for you to be ready, uh, Pastor Kang. Thank you so much for being here. I wonder if I could, if I could pitch this to our pastor guest, uh, Father Stephen. The lecture was by a Catholic, Abby, Dr. Favalli, whom you know. Um, and she was talking about the way that Mary stands as an exemplar of faith, as an example for how we can say yes to God. I think for a lot of Protestants, that is, in very simple terms, Christians who are not Catholics or Orthodox, 
it's, I don't know, like we have weird feelings about Mary. It's like Mary is like, do Catholics worship Mary? I don't want to worship a human being. There are images of Mary often in Catholic churches. I don't know, have, has anyone here ever been to a Catholic mass or been inside a Catholic church to see some of the imagery? So some people, and we have, we have a couple dozen Catholics who are here. I don't know, like what about just that blunt question? Do Catholics worship Mary? Is there something weird going on with this Mary thing? I think the, the short answer is no. So, um, you know, it, oftentimes because Mary's a, a point of difference in, in the understanding of Mary between Catholics and Protestants, a lot of times the sense is Catholics are all about Mary, but actually our Catholic faith is 100% about Jesus, right? Just the same as imagine any of you going, belonging to a different Christian community. Mm-hmm. But then our understanding is because of the central role Mary played in Jesus' life, therefore she has an important role. Um, and we don't worship, you know, worship biblically, is only done to God. We believe in the Trinity, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, But there's a difference between worship and praise. So when I heard Dr. Favalli's lecture on Monday, I sent her a text complimenting her lecture. I praised her, Mm. but I didn't worship her. And so, likewise, I can praise you, and I can praise someone who's gone before in the faith, Mm -hmm. um, including someone who had such a central role. I, I consider Mary part of my family of faith. You know, so just like I have pictures of my mom, my dad, and my siblings on my wall, I have a picture of Mary and some of the other saints. Um, But there's not, I don't worship them, I don't see Mary as God or or confuse her at all with that. Um, But she had a very central role in Jesus' life, and she continues to have a central role in my life because I believe she's in heaven. And if someone's in heaven, they're more alive than they are here on earth. And if I can ask someone here to pray for me, certainly I can ask someone in heaven to pray for me too. Um, and so that's part of my Christian community in heaven. Um, and she has that, that wow. role there. Well, I mean, what, what about this as a follow-up question? I mean, we've talked a lot about gender in this class. And like, you're a male, Mary's a female. It's like, I could see someone saying, oh, you know, for Catholics to have Mary in such a prominent role, that's like outreach to ladies. Like, you can have a woman that people can praise and look up to. It's not just so, just Jesus, just male, male, male. Do you, is it weird to relate to Mary as a male? Is it, is, uh, how would you talk about the gender dynamic of that, if someone had a question about that, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I don't think of it, uh, you know, because I, I have lots of men and women in my life mm-hmm. in general. You know, I have a mom, and so there's a very deep sense. If you read John chapter 19, there's this beautiful scene, Jesus on the cross, and he looks down at the beloved disciple, that's John, mm-hmm. and then there's Mary there, and he he says to Mary, behold your son, and he says to John, behold your mother. Mm-hmm. And all of us, if you read the Gospel of John, we're sort of invited to be in the beloved disciple's shoes. And so I see myself, I'm invited to be in his shoes in that moment. And Jesus has become my brother through the cross, so much so that he's also given me his mother as my mother. Wow. Um, and so I have that, that relationship to her as I do to my own mom, you know, and, and uh, there's nothing, I guess, wow. it's not weird. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, right? Because mm-hmm. God created male and female, and, and so you'd imagine to male and female to be part of the story all the way through. Yeah. Pastor Kang, uh, does Mary play a role in, in your life of faith? Yes, and it's actually very, um, it's guilt-ridden. Um, <laughs> so what you just said was um, kind of wonderful because, so I grew up uh, Korean Presbyterian, um, which I always preface that way because 
if you add an ethnic culture to a denomination title, it's often very different than mm. if it were just, let's say, Western US of that de denomination, that mm. experience. Um, and so we did grow up reading and reciting the Apostles' Creed. And so if anything, I always kind of, because we didn't have this concept of praising Mary, if anything, we went straight to God and straight to Jesus, and Mary was sort of like a tool, and mm. it was sort of like, Insel, isn't she a wonderful role model that she said yes? And I kind of love what Dr. Favalli was talking about when it comes to that confirmation, that that consent, that assent to saying, yes, I'll, I'll be this, this, um, this method, this vehicle, this holiness um, that will be in my body. Um, I, who, are there any Christmas babies in this group? Like born on Christmas born Eve? Born on Christmas. Or Christmas Eve? Nobody. Okay. I was born on Christmas. No way. Yes. It is great when you're little because your parents can convince you that all those decorations that What's-His-Face puts up for two weeks and all those things are in, <laughs> in honor of you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you, you kind of get really swept up in all of that. But for me, growing up in this very Christian home that was a lot more legalistic, I would read these verses about Mary or the Bible was always in King James Version. And, some, uh, and my name, uh, Korean, uh, a part of my name's meaning is fruitfulness. And they use that word because we knew that word in English from the King James Version Bible. Oh. So all I thought from age like five, probably, um, till maybe way too old, like maybe 11, 12, was this really scary kind of thought that maybe I would have to be the next Virgin Mary. Oh, really? And I did not see the yes. story going that way at all. So I saw it going a very different direction. This is why you got to talk to your pastors, because yes. it, I'm sitting there in the pews, yeah. and I'm hearing about Virgin Mary saying yeah. yes, and I'm being told I'm born on Christmas and how special oh, that now. is. Yeah. And I was just, it was a very deep burden to bear. Um. <laughs> I'm just taking that in to think it, of you at yes. 11 years old. Like it was a lot. Yeah. Um, talk to a lot of your Korean American friends and ask them what levels of deep, deep guilt and burden they <laughs> held growing up. Um, it's probably on that level, All but. Right. But yeah, it wasn't until later that I was able to actually see Mary as a peer. Uh -huh. Um, because we, we keep forgetting, we always mention, oh, she was so young and this was so bad for her reputation. But don't forget that just in the embodiment of who she was, she was just a young, vulnerable person that is like my peer. Right. And for her to know and not even truly understand possibly, there's no way to truly fathom what was about to happen, but still no. say, all right, let's go for it. No, because I'm like that other guy in the story that Dr. Vivali told, like the other guy who says, yep. oh, well, I, you know, how will I know, da-da-da, that's totally me. But I, I, I had the sense during the lecture that I should be using Mary as an exemplar of a certain kind of faith, at least at certain points in my life. I, Dr. Yang, were you part of a faith tradition that, used that, that saw Mary in any particular way? Does Mary play any role in your life of faith? Well, I can say two things, I think. Three things, I think. First of all... Why not well, four or five? Just go for <laughs> it. Yeah. Mary wasn't really a big part of my faith tradition or my church individually, I think, when I was growing up. But as a scholar and as a pastor, I studied, the more I studied the Bible and the more I studied the church tradition, I have found that, wow, Mary or the women in general, they have a huge part of Christian tradition. And they are the ones who have laid some sort in a sense foundations for the christian church as well and just going back to mary him herself already to second century or third century there was a term developed in the early church which was theotokos for mary which translates as mother of god mm -hmm. even the christian church gave that honorable term to mary calling her mother of god because 
she was carrying what she gave birth to Jesus. And that is even before the Catholic Church, which means we Protestants can share that foundation of the Christian mm -hmm. Church, having huge focus on Mary herself. We are not really praising women or worshiping Mary as a Protestant, but still, I think as an individual Christian, I can praise Mary, just like I praise my mother. Mm -hmm. being a very, very good Christian and Christian mother. She's not perfect, but she has been so much faithful to her family and to me and to the world. And in this sense, I can even say, yeah, I can praise my mother being a very faithful servant of God. And in terms of that, I'm approaching Mary as well. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, class. Um, we definitely want to cultivate discussion about Mary or about something from the lecture. Is there something either in writing or does somebody want to take the mic and talk? Um, precisely on the forms of the uh, on the terms of the lecture. Up here in the front, we have somebody, Jenna, right here. Um, two people, actually. Uh, we don't, yeah, three, four. We don't um, have Dr. Valley here to answer questions uh, for her particularly, but we'll do whatever we can do to try to say at least what we think she would say or at least what we, what we think. So let's go for it. All right. Hey, my name's Evan. Hi, and Evan. I had, it's not directly pertaining to Mary, but it's more about Jesus. In the gospel, we see Jesus do so many different things, bring up lots of controversial points, heal people, um, all sorts of stuff. But I was wondering, it's kind of more of a theoretical question, if Jesus was to walk through these doors right now, what would you think he'd say or do? Okay, that's, that's, we're definitely in the wild card zone now. We went there, okay, not related to the lecture at all, which was the exact call for the thing, but nevertheless, we're going with it. We're doing yes and today, Evan. What do you think Jesus would say if he walked through those doors right now? I, I think he would just laugh. Um, <laughs> at us, frankly, but in a, in a wonderful way. Because um, don't forget he's God, so he would be aware of our, I would, in my mind I go to, he'd be aware of our social mores and all the things that have happened in history, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I think he would laugh at us. Would he be dressed like us or would he be dressed in like flowing robes and things? I don't know, if you have, a, if you have an iPhone and you go to like text someone and you hit the gift button, my favorite gift right now is when you hit the gift button on, on an iPhone, I don't know if it works with Android, is it the same? Type in Jesus fingers, um, that's the image I have right, yes! You know that one. Um, anyways, I don't know what he'd be wearing. Maybe he'd be dressed like you. Maybe he'd be, I don't know, but I feel like he would laugh at us because I feel like he, over and over again, he tried so hard to get us to realize the simplicity of what he was trying to tell us mm. and the fact that we're doing this because we need to because our brains are just so human. I think he would laugh, but in a loving way, but kind of like, oh, you guys. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you guys. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Father Stephen, you want to take a crack at this? You know, it, it, you know, obviously, you're sort of, uh, how do I know the mind of Christ? But, you know, it's, uh, when you look at the gospel, you see Jesus, he, in a situation, he sees into people in a very particular way, and he knows how to address the person um, and see what's beneath the surface. And, I don't know, maybe I imagine him walking in, and, I don't know, maybe in robes, I, I don't know, I kind of like robes. Um, he walks in <laughs> in robes, and, and he would, you know, he'd see someone in this room, I don't know who, and he realized someone here needs something. He'd walk up to that person and embrace that person and speak, you know, maybe even in their ears. Um, I don't know who that, that person would be, but, um, you know, maybe in an ideal world he'd go to each person. I don't know. But um, there's something very, Jesus has a very particular love for each one of us. Um, yeah. And he speaks to each one of us in a very different and particular way. Can we go into the crowd here? Do we have another question? Thanks for that, Evan. Yeah. Okay. I'm Jessalyn. Hey. And... <laughs> I had a question in Hillsong Worship. There's a song called, Oh Praise the Name. And there's a line that says, Messiah still and all alone. 
So my question is, was Jesus really alone if the Trinity never was separated? And if he was, does that mean that God abandoned his son? Can you say the line from the song again, Messiah? Still and all alone. Still and all alone, Messiah. Mm -hmm. And in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Um, but if Jesus was really alone, does that mean that God abandoned his son? Wow. Well, as my humble and personal and spiritual response to your question, I'm so glad that Jesus was alone at a certain point. I don't, I don't think Jesus is still well, forever eternally alone. I don't believe that. But uh, at least on the cross, Jesus said in Aramaic, when Hebrew, Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means what? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Something like that. Jesus was alone on the cross. I believe because, just my, from, from my own faith, he was carrying all the sins of this world, right? With the sin, Jesus felt alone just like us. So I'm really glad that Jesus felt somehow alone at a certain point of his life, even on the cross, that I can associate with his life, and he's associating with my life as well. But at the same time, I believe because Jesus felt alone, Jesus was craving for the abundance, abundance of God's love at the same time, which mm. I'm enjoying thanks, thanks to Jesus being alone. So mm. that's my humble and spiritual response to your question. Mm. You know, in the Catholic tradition, there's this idea that at every single moment of Jesus' life, he was in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, but he felt, even though he was in that communion, that kind of communion that we're only experiencing in heaven, and even since he's God himself even more than we'll ever experience in heaven. Uh, during his life, he experienced the full depth of human suffering. And part of that was to have, in a certain way, a psychological experience of being alone, um, of being abandoned, even though he knew he wasn't truly abandoned. He was one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he felt that on the cross. He felt he received the death of a criminal, of um, one, you know, cursed is one who dies on the tree is one of the lines that... Paul even quotes from the Old Testament, and, and this sense of he felt it, even though he, at, even to his last breath, had absolute confidence that the Father was with him. Um, so there's sort of this, this, it's not tension in a real sense, but it, a sense of he felt our, our anguish, our suffering, our pain, our loneliness, while at the same time knowing that the Father was always with him. And, and what I would add to that, too, is um, I think there's a difference between being alone and feeling distance. Um, and I think that might be more in line with that lyric potentially. And, and as someone who is le in leadership at a church where we receive so many comment cards on, you know, what is, I'm sure you've already heard it, what is a reckless love, what is whatever, and we get all those complaints. Um, <laughs> reckless I, love, like just smashing things? Right, like yeah. they're like, is that pot? I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, that's all you focused on the entire service? Um, but I, I, I think there's also that. It's, it's you're talking about amazing artists and creatives that are trying to capture this tone and feeling that would bring us into a space and heart of worship, where sometimes dissecting those words can, can be amazing for conversation, but I think there's multiple ways of looking at it. But when you yeah. said that, and, or asked that question, yeah. my first thought was, I know in, 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 in my experience of how I um, connect to Jesus and his story, in the Bible at least, there was a sense of distancing and that kind of loneliness. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure though he would have felt maybe quote unquote fully alone, like without the Father, without the Holy Spirit. But we even know that there are seasons, it could be years where you feel a distance 
And mm. it doesn't mean your faith is weaker. It just means that there's a distance and you might not be hearing God as loudly as everyone else seems to be. Um, and I think mm. that sounds, I don't know that song. That sounds like an amazing lyric, frankly, to just ping off all of these types of thoughts. I mean, I have a follow-up question though for, for Father Stephen at least, and maybe for Pastor Kang as well on this. Like, I don't know, like when I hear this, I think to myself, part of what it means to be a human, if Jesus was fully human and fully experienced the full gamut of human suffering, for me, I mean, not all the time, but like part of the time, that actually includes wondering things like, is there actually a God? Like, who knows? Like, maybe I've just devoted my life to some kind of fakery. I mean, I'm talking about a very low moment here, not like an average daily moment, but like, how could that not be part of a human life? But you're saying, it's, if I'm hearing you correctly, Father Stephen, you're saying, no, that couldn't have been part of Jesus' life, at least not in a real sense. But to be a human for me is actually to struggle with that piece of faith in a real sense. So is Jesus not fully human then in that way? You know, yeah, this is a really a tough point because in Jesus' life, although he takes on everything we do, he doesn't take on the sin component mm. or some of the parts of the effects of sin. Sin is part of my life too, definitely. Right. As yeah. a human, that's what and, I experienced. You know, and, yeah. and it's kind of like, you know, when we say Jesus became fully human, we're saying something really interesting. We're saying, in a, in a sense, we're saying in a way that none of us are yet fully human. Oh. So, you know, we're not fully human yet. We're, we're, we're damaged by sin. And so the parts that Jesus doesn't share with us are the parts that aren't meant to be there from the beginning. Um, but he still is fully human. He still takes on everything, but he doesn't get down in the pit of sin with us. He reaches his hand down to pull us up. Um, but he, he shares our humanity in the part that's actually human, you know. Um, the disability of sin is not part of being human. It's a defect that he's trying to save us from. Ah, I see what you mean by that. Yeah, that's worth thinking about, not being fully human yet, moving toward that. Students, what have you got out there? It's not on. Oh, it's on now. Yeah. Hello. Hi. So going back to the wild card category, let's do it. The most fun. Uh, so one of the questions that I've been having about this class is why are we studying theology instead of something like religious philosophy? In other words, why are we studying what we believe as opposed to whether or not we should believe it? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think in some ways we have been talking about that. I mean, maybe not enough for your taste, I can hear. Um, but I think that that's implicit all along, is, is that we're all on this journey. Like, I, like, for instance, there are probably like a couple dozen of you in this room who like, you would just say, I'm not a person of faith. Like, I don't know whether to believe this or not. And there are probably like a hundred of you that are like, I think I do, but I'm not sure. So I think everything we're doing is totally operating under the assumption that that's exactly where we're at. I, why, why would somebody, as a point of study and so on, talk about faith instead of whether there should be faith at all? I mean, I don't know. How would, how would you all respond to it? I know you'd have to respond on behalf of the class. I don't want to put you in a weird situation, but just that question generally, like, how do you approach faith at all? Do you approach it by doing and, and learning what people believe or what, you know, about whether there should be belief at all? Or I, what, what do you think? Um, I'll, I'll say it this way, and if, if you, mm, okay, I'll say it this way. Um, uh, music majors or people who want to be in music in here? Any of you have taken like classical music theory or starting to take theory? Two people. Okay, I, or a couple more, okay. Yeah. How many of you listen to music? Great. Um, 
As someone who dabbled in music in my undergrad, um, and I was given music theory classes as part of some of the scholarships, I realized that I could still totally enjoy music and even know amazing facts, history, um, genre, information, et cetera, um, and stay up. But when I got the theory, it added a whole different foundation. It didn't change my concept of what I like or how I like it, but it definitely gave me a different foundation that had been missing. It doesn't mean that all my friends who didn't take uh, music theory that they couldn't appreciate music. But I do think it's that extra thing that potentially Fox is trying to offer you in due diligence of if this is supposed to be a, a faith-based school, um, we need to give you that foundation so that you can go on and say, I don't believe in that, or I'd rather question this other thing. I love that your critical mind even went to that question. Um, but I know that when I was your age, I wouldn't even have thought that had I not been given mm. some level of rubric potentially, um, which in my mind is the quote unquote theology theory. So, By a show of hands, how many people would, if in the spring, if we could work it into the panel or in some other way, how many people would like to hear a hoedown on is there even a God or should I even believe? Is that a thing? Just raise your hand. That's okay. Yeah, I hear that. I see, well, you know, it's a fair amount of hands there. So that's worth it. So that's, that's worth thinking about. You know, I, I think part of it too is this idea, you know, like if I, I have a sort of uh, amateur fascination with astronomy and, and physics. And if I try to teach someone the theory of general relativity, I need to tell them what it is first before they'll accept it because it, it seems mind-bending and the, the objections come up that aren't there once you understand the whole thing. So in a sense, to, in order to believe, part of believing is I have to know what I'm going to believe. And a lot of times I see people when they say they reject um, the Christian faith, a lot of the reasons, for example, the problem of evil, you have to really understand what the Christian faith says in order for it to make sense. Because on the outside, it doesn't always make sense. Only inside, you get to have answers that have real substance to them. So part of the why is learning the what. Um, learning what, what am I going to, what does it mean to believe in God um, that gets rid of maybe uh, misconceptions that you might have if you didn't understand the faith more fully. Um, and my, as my answer to your question, I think from my Christian perspective, probably atheists or the non-Christians or agnostics would have different answers. But uh, from my Christian perspective, I think the dichotomy or dualistic understanding of philosophy and theology is false. I think theology and philosophy, there is a significant overlapping. When you approach philosophy from non-Christian perspective, you're going to say, oh, of course, there's no overlapping. Could be. But uh, from theological perspective, I see a lot of overlapping be between theology and philosophy. So when you go to the dep department, I mean, we don't have a really department, really um, philosophy here. But uh, when you go to philosophy classes, there are cl classes like called religion. Uh, philosophy of religion or religious philosophy or philosophical religion, that kind of course. But when you approach them from a theological point of view, well, the philosophy is all about, when you boil everything about philosophy to one or two point or three points, it's all about human life, right? What the universe, where are we come from, right? Well, what is the whole universe? What are good values for human life? I believe, oh, we know that theology deals with those issues as well from Genesis mm. through Revelation. So in this class, why are we not doing really philosophy of religion? Just for the sake of this class, we want to approach those same matters from a Christian point of view. But that does not exclude, I believe, what's happening in secular philosophy as well. Probably through this course, we could have better understanding of secular philosophy as well and vice versa. Yeah. 
I should also mention, by the way, just for anybody, not just for the question asker, that we do teach in our department in the College of Christian Studies, we teach courses like apologetics, which I think would deal very heavily in something like that, which could be taken by a student who wanted more reasons for their faith, or from somebody who's approaching it from outside of faith, who just wanted to hear about how Christians actually do justify this kind of stuff. So we do actually have courses like that. Um, but I've definitely seen the hands and hear the question in terms of like, eh, maybe that's something we should do together too. I'm, I don't know where I'm pointing. Okay, I'm cool. just pointing, yeah. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. My name's James. Hey. Um, so looking at what Jesus did and um, his actions and who he cared for, how do we separate uh, people from their sin and not judge people uh, by their sin but see everyone as human? Wow, fantastic. Pastor King, how do you do this in your ministry? I mean, you must see, you, you just, you see everything, right? You see the whole spectrum, and yet yeah. you're actually, you're in a different position. You're asked to love. Yes. How do you do that? Um, if I'm very honest, I did not do this very well, um, especially uh, when I started in uh, this role. I've only been in formal ministry, quote unquote, for a little over five years. Um, and what I realized was, I was suddenly in a position where people had issue with me personally, being female, being uh, what they thought my age was, or even just not being um, dominant culture looking. Um, and those would be parts of the things that I would want to justify when it comes mm. to um, not wanting to, to like this person, maybe not even like this person, but just really focus in on their sin. Um, when it came out in, in discriminatory things, racist things, sexist things. And I realized that um, the burden that I will never fully understand of Jesus' ability to love us was that part in the Bible, he said it, I think, a couple times, but when he talks about pitying them, pitying us, it wasn't an actual, like, uh, power dynamic, top-down, like, screw you guys. It was an actual loving thing because he could see how difficult and almost impossible it was for us to live a sinless life mm. um, and how difficult it was for us to actually get this sense that he has forgiven, he has redeemed us, we should really live a new life. I don't do that well. I know I should be living a transformed life, but the, the times that that actually happens and you can see it and witness it are probably not quote unquote enough, whatever that means. So yeah. that's just a convoluted way of saying for me personally, um, my own faith experience, my own life experience, my being humbled, all that has done is almost shaved down my heart to a very raw place where I can empathize more with this burden that Jesus felt of loving us when we were so difficult to love and not because we were out there like, not because we're out there constantly, you know, desecrating buildings and hitting each other or whatever, but just, it's so hard for us to connect this sense that we're redeemed and that it's mm. real and then we, like, that kind of loving pity for us, mm. that's where I had to start um, coming from when it came to interacting with people who are so different and would not think that I would be coming from a place of loving them first. Wow. Um, and I'm still figuring it out, but that has changed my whole sense of, um, expectations on men and expectations on people who do hold more um, oppressive and discriminatory thoughts or mindsets. Father Stephen, this must come up all the time in your yeah. ministry, or doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, and um, I guess maybe here's an image, you know, that a few years ago, the Sistine Chapel was renovated, and they took, and they took off layers of centuries of dirt and other things that had gotten there. Um, but before it was renovated, it's not like tourists who went there to 
to see the Sistine Chapel looked up and said, oh, look, all that ugly dirt. They said, oh, look, the Sistine Chapel, I'm sad that I can't see it in its full of glory. And I think that's kind of our approach, you know, and I've noticed that in my own ministry. If I take a moment to pause and look through the sin as just this dirt or this this scum on the outside of the person and see the image of God inside and maybe even imagine what that person will be like in heaven, um, it changes everything because then I see, oh yeah, that's just dirt. I'm sad that I'm not able to see this person in his or her full glory, but I'm excited for how the Holy Spirit's working to renovate, to clean off, to remove that dirt and to leave a spotless image of God. Can we go to the student question here? I know she's had her hand up for a while. Hi, I'm Cassidy, and I was wondering um, about Mary. Is what, Why did God pick her, and is she perfect? Why did God pick, why did God pick Mary, and is she perfect? You know, this is a, a point where a lot of Christians disagree. Um, within the Catholic tradition, um, I mean, I think most Christians would agree that God picks each person from all eternity, um, that there's a sense in which God has foreknown each one of us and has a role for each one of us, and, and I think that's true of Mary as well. In the Catholic tradition, there's a sense that her role was so significant that she was given a very special particular grace. Jesus is her Savior, but the way he saved her is a little different than the way he saved us in the sense that he, all of the salvation was preventative ahead of time, um, and so that she was saved from ever sinning in her life, but that's not an absence of salvation. Um, it's the same way as when your doctor prescribes you preventative medicine. The doctor is still saving you, um, just the same as when he's cutting you open an operating table because he didn't give you preventative medicine. Um, and it, it's helpful, I think, in our own lives to see that because um, I could be a far worse sinner than I am right now, but thanks be to God, by his grace, he's prevented me from sinning. And those are moments of salvation. The fact that I'm not a mass murderer right now is his salvation in my life. Um, and so Mary had that very particular role. Uh, Dr. Vivali talked about this, this imagery of her as the Ark of the Covenant um, and her as this, uh, the tabernacle. Um, but it's not, you know, that doesn't elevate her um, up to the God's level. It just it, it talks about that powerful role that from all eternity, just like for all of us, from all eternity, she had a particular role picked out for her, and, and that was um, the way God did it in her life. I want to ask a follow-up question on this good question from Athanasius from the reading. I mean, this was something that just stood out to me that I don't understand about the reading. On page 57, Athanasius is talking about the incarnation. He's talking about God having mercy on our race, having pity upon our weakness, condescending to our corruption. How does he solve this? He takes for himself a body that's not different from our own. That's the whole idea that he's pitching. He says something about Mary, though, that confused me, and and I don't want to put you on the spot, Father Stephen, for this, certainly. Maybe Dr. Yang can take first crack at this. Athanasius says... But he, meaning God, takes that which is ours, and that not simply, but from a spotless and stainless virgin, ignorant of men, pure and unmixed from intercourse with men. It made me wonder, and I realize we're coming down to like, we only have three minutes left here. Maybe this is like too much of a bombshell. <laughs> would, 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 it, would Mary have not been pure in some important way if she had not been a virgin? Like, could God have worked his miracle of incarnation through if Mary had just gotten married to Joseph and they had just lived their life and she had just had a child in the normal way, but God had said this somehow. I mean, granted, you'd miss the miracle part of it, the divine birth from the Father and maybe that kind of special aspect of belief, but like, is her virginity like some kind of important part of this story or could we have done without it? Yeah, I I mean, I think part of that is, you know, there's a difference between what God could have done because God's all-powerful, he could do anything, and what was fitting for him to do, or what, what was right. the most excellent thing. And it's not the sense, 
you shouldn't read that as a condemnation of all other people who are not virgins. Yeah. Rather, there's this idea, and it's, you see it in the Bible, this sense of being fully consecrated to God, and this idea in the tr Christian tradition that there are some individuals called to be consecrated to God in a special way, to not marry, but to be, um, be virgins, you know, and, and fully dedicate themselves. And that's the sense in which right. God chose someone to be fully dedicated to this purpose of being the right. mother of his son. Well, and that's something even just when I think about Catholicism and the priesthood, it just kind of wows me. Like, I have a sense of spiritual awe, even though I'm not Catholic, at this sense that, like, to become a priest, like, you have, you have really laid down your chips. Like, you have cashed it in. Like, you have said, actually, my life is devoted to this in terms of marriage, in terms of your, just everything. That just seems like a really serious commitment. Like, when did that commitment really sink into you? Was there, like, one moment where you were like, oh, wow, I really committed to something serious by being a priest? Well, that's a longer thing that I can, uh, if yeah. you come, I'm doing a talk later tonight. So come to that talk tonight, and I'll tell my whole story. Ah. Um, but I guess, I mean. The 32nd Yeah, version. the 32nd, yeah. well, maybe just the general version um, is that, you know, yeah, you're committing your whole life. I think married couples have the same experience. You know, you lay down your whole life for another person. Um, but then I just have to stand back and think, yep, he devoted his whole life for me. So I'm really making no sacrifice comparatively. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't God who became human and died. Um, I'm just giving up what I really don't even have the right to anyways. Or I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm living, the fact that I have life itself is a gift from him. Um, so there's not... Yeah, I don't, I think of it, yeah, if I thought of myself in isolation, maybe it seems like a big sacrifice, but when I look at the cross, it's really no sacrifice at all. Wow. Mm -hmm.